Hello, all you wonderful, spooky Halloweenies. Welcome to part two of our Halloween episode. Didn't get enough Halloween from the first part? Mm-mm. Neither did we. Woo. It's impossible to get enough Halloween. It's true. Mix it up in my drink, and I'll swallow it down by the gallonful. Make an all-Halloween 24-7 movie channel and blast it straight into my eyeballs. <laughs> Tether me to a scarecrow and stuff my shabby flannel shirt full of straw. Leave me hanging out in a cornfield in the middle of nowhere, Nebraska, all season long. I feel like maybe just that last one would ruin Halloween for you probably forever. Hmm, yeah. If I'm in a cornfield all season, I won't be able to actually celebrate anywhere fun. No offense to cornfields. <laughs> Or eat, but good to see you have your priorities straight. Since we don't have gallons of Halloween essence to spike your drink and drown your humanly sorrows, and it's maybe not advisable to watch Halloween movies 24-7 if you, say, drive a car at some point, Mm. we'll have to think of something really good that you can do to get into the holiday spirit. Hmm. You mean, like... Listen to part two of Death Party's Halloween episode? What a spectacular idea. Do you have goosebumps from a sudden chill in the autumn air? Do flickering, unearthly lights beckon to you out across the peaty bogs in the dead of night? Do you feel unseen fingers creeping up your spine? And hear ghostly whispers from the foot of the bed when you lay down and try your hardest to fall asleep? Well, if not... Get with the program! It's almost Halloween here, people! Vampires and werewolves, witches and zombies. <clears throat> Demons and dark energies. Yes, you, those two. Thank you. Welcome back to part two of our Halloween episode. Uh, and I guess you mortals are welcome here too. But just this once. Yep, you get one free listen and then you have to find a monster to turn you. <gasps> You won't have to look far. Just peer deep into the darkness at the back of your closet. Or stick your arm as far as you can underneath your bed. (laughs) Then close your eyes and count to 20. You'll know when you've been initiated, when something bites you. Yeah, but you won't know what you've been initiated into until a week or so later. Oh, yes. The change. That's the fun part. If you start growing extra hair, werewolf. But if your hair starts falling out, zombie. But, curveball. Either one of those could also be witch. (laughs) Oh, yeah. You should see the one in the back of my closet. Her name is Bumpin' the Night, and she has hair for absolute miles. But it's only sideburns. Her name is Bumpin' the Night? Mm-hmm. Because when she goes sneaking around the house at night, her sideburns get tangled around the coffee table legs, and it causes a ruckus. It's hard to sleep through sometimes, honestly. Couldn't you just, like, move the coffee table? Oh, but it's her favorite game. Vampires and werewolves, witches and zombies, and demons trapped in earthly skin suits. (laughs) These spooky citizens are not the only monsters tied into the story of our beloved Halloween. That's right. There is an entity far bigger and spookier than all of these combined. And it is largely responsible for the shape that our favorite day of the year takes today. Any guesses? Um... Giant monster? That's right. Christianity. Whoa, tut tut. Not all Christians are monsters. Oh, I know, but this is Death Party Podcast. We only talk about the baddies. Oh, right, right. It's pretty on brand. There have been some questionable ones throughout history. Indeed. 
While most of what we know of Samhain today originated in the ancient Irish sagas, Christian missionaries had already had a heavy influence on these tales by the time they were eventually written down. During the latter part of the Roman Empire, on through the late Middle Ages, Christians were out conquering new lands and one of the goals was to convert other societies to Christianity. And before anybody gets offended... After. And after everyone gets offended, Mm -hmm. pretty much every group of peoples were out conquering or getting conquered all the time. Mm -hmm. So, you know, in case it feels like we're singling your people out. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, I got singled out by my friend's mom when I was younger because I made a joke about being the devil and she took it literally and wouldn't let me come over anymore after that even though her kid was the one sneaking out at night and getting hammered on blackberry brandy so yeah if someone feels singled out right now you know now you know how it feels and maybe don't persecute your kids friends for having a wicked sense of humor yeah because your kid's not gonna call you to come get him when he's drunk off cough syrup or whatever in the next town over and can't get home Do you even know what blackberry brandy flavored puke smells like? I don't want to know. You can't get that out of car upholstery, like ever. You just basically have to, now you don't have a car anymore. Mm -hmm. You can't drive that. It's done. No. It's too bad we didn't know each other back then. I could have cleared your good name. I mean, you're clearly not him, so, I mean, not that I know him personally. I mean, it's just, he's the devil, and you're just, well, yeah. Thanks? Or... Rude. Uh, yeah. The weirdest coincidences happen when I do research for this show. I met a friend for dinner the other night, and somehow, without me even mentioning that I was thinking about mentioning all of this, she asked if I remembered driving around with our heads out the windows and bandanas tied around our mouths because I couldn't get the vomit out from under the back seat of my car. Yeah. Like I could ever forget. Uh, well, that certainly paints an odorous picture. (laughs) You do have a way with words, my dear. I just need everyone to suffer along with me. Uh, noted. I think you've made that increasingly clear over the numerous episodes we've done. All right, so back before Faye was wrongly accused of being the devil and had her car filled with brandy puke, from which she is clearly not recovered... Christians were moving into new lands and trying to convert the locals. Yes. But as you might imagine, some of the people who lived in these areas already had their own religion and customs and weren't always fond of being told to cut that sh** out and do religion someone else's way. Because what would be a Roman Catholic accent? No, not a thing. Really? Um, Italian accent? Yeah, don't even try it, honey. (laughs) (laughs) Old English. There you go. (laughs) What does Old English sound like? I don't know. Uh, okay. Uh, they would be like, Hello, you are conquered now, so get with the program. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> That's not your regular Perfect. voice, so that'll, that'll do it. Okay. In fact, the origins of the word Halloween itself can be traced back to Christianity. November 1st is All Saints Day, also known as All Hallows Day. Why Hallow's Day? Why Hallow's Day? I'm so glad you asked. (laughs) Because hallowed in ye old English means holy or sanctified. Think of like, you know, a cemetery being on hallowed ground. Mm -hmm. And the een part in Halloween was derived from the old English for eve. So the modern interpretation is basically just a mashup of old English for holy day eve. Literally, we refer to it in relation to the day following it. Wacky, right? Hmm. Those Halloween hijinks strike again. (laughs) So one strategy that was used to persuade the locals to adopt Christianity was called Interpretatio Christiana. And you wanted to do a Roman Catholic accent. Something like that. Uh, This was the practice of co-opting native pagan practices and culture, pagan religious imagery, pagan rites, and the pagan calendar into Christian practices. So in the true spirit of, if you can't beat them, uh, let them keep some of their stuff. Christians at the time gathered up some symbology and dates on the calendar that were significant to pagans and incorporated them into their customs and calendar, bringing them along for the ride. Some places never got around to the hijinks and spooky fun times part of celebrating Halloween. What? In fact, in Latin America and most of Europe, 
Halloween is a solemn religious occasion when the faithful attend extra masses and say prayers for their dead. Hmm. Yeah, hold on. Uh, let me just cross those places off on my giant map of where I won't be going to celebrate Halloween. <laughs> so. Honoring my ancestral lineage? F*** that! Where's the candy? Mm-hmm. <laughs> One exception that sounds more metal than anything is an old tradition amongst the Bretons of visiting the charnel house, which is where bones from overflowing graveyards are kept, Ooh. and then opening the doors to pray amongst the bones. I like it. At night. Even better. Scary. Yes. Oh, those wacky Bretons. <laughs> The Bretons believe that for 48 hours, the souls in purgatory are free to search out their old homes, thus the uh, bone praying and whatnot. Hmm. Here in the U.S., while we may be behind in other important areas like uh, affordable health care, maternity mm -hmm. and paternity leave, mm -hmm. paid vacation time, mm -hmm. enacting justice on white-collar criminals like the ones responsible for the predatory lending crisis of 2007, while inmates found guilty of minor drug charges wrapped behind bars forever and a day. Meanwhile... Yeah, let's move on or this episode will go on for days. Right. Because uh, <clears throat> as I was saying, while we may be lacking in some areas, here in the United States, we have one thing going for us, and that's... The way we celebrate Halloween. Hell yeah. And why is it so great? Immigrants. Immigrants, damn it. Mm. Immigrants brought us Halloween, and as far as I'm concerned, that is a debt that we still owe them. That's how highly Halloween is regarded in my world. Mm -hmm. By the 9th century, Christianity was appropriating pagan rites. It was kind of like, it's kind of like if you think of Christianity as the corporation, it was getting rid of the redundancies and streamlining the hiring process by trimming the fat when it merged with slash swallowed up pagan customs. So modern. All Souls Day, a time for honoring the dead, had previously been celebrated on May 1st, but in another calculated move to align traditional pagan festivals with Christian holidays, Pope Gregory the Fourth probably <laughs> moved it. <laughs> Who cares? <laughs> One of them popes and established the Feast of All Saints on November 1st and All Souls Day the day after on November 2nd. Thus, a mini season of observances was established, known in medieval times as Hallowtide. I like it. Celebrations in England resembled Celtic commemorations of Samhain, complete with bonefires <laughs> and masquerades. According to one account, it was customary in former times on this day for persons dressed in black to traverse the streets, ringing a dismal-toned bell at every corner and calling on the inhabitants to remember the souls suffering penance and purgatory and to join in prayer for their liberation and repose. Nice. Kind of leads me to wonder, like, what's the difference between a dismal-toned bell and just a regular bell? In a blind bell tone test, I'm not sure I could discern one from the other. Yep, sounds like a bell. Yep, also sounds like a bell. Uh, well, I can tell you what a dismal toned bell is because I'm currently editing my Indeed profile to apply for jobs as, quote, a person dressed in black traversing the streets, oh. ringing a dismal toned bell at every corner, yes. and calling on the inhabitants to remember the soul's suffering penance in purgatory, end quote. Hmm. Dream job! Yeah! So, my bell will sound thusly. I'm going to ring it at every single corner, and if people complain, I'm going to ring it twice. Whoa. That will make it easy for people to remember what suffering in purgatory feels like, so everybody wins. So you're like the equivalent of that uh, reality show contestant getting interviewed that's like, I ain't here to make friends. <laughs> <laughs> but with bells. Um, yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so in ye old times... The bell ringing was also a cue to, like, uh, go ahead and get your ass out of the street because the dead are going to be walking it soon. And they are the fiercest of sidewalk warriors, I guess. Hmm. 
Now, just like today, people back then were fans of capitalism. Hmm. So when Mr. Busy Businessman was busy running his deadly poison nursery wallpaper factory, or his highly flammable and spontaneously combustible ladies' hair comb factory, he just didn't have time to hang out in cemeteries praying Hmm. for and thanking his ancestors for all the wealth he inherited from them. No, sir. So what's the solution for an upper-crust gentleman who wants to make it through the thinly shrouded night unscathed without any real effort? Poor people! Poor people. Mm -hmm. Poor people would visit the houses of upper-crust families and promise to pay for the souls of the homeowner's dead relatives in exchange for pastries called soul cakes. Mm, sounds tasty. <laughs> How many calories in one of them soul cakes? Cakes. I'm talking about cakes. Uh, this practice became known as souling and was later taken up by children, presumably because it hadn't yet been discovered how useful tiny hands were for working in mines. <laughs> <laughs> These children would go from door to door asking for gifts, such as food and money. Just to remind you, in Scotland and Ireland, young people took part in a tradition called guising, which was dressing up in costume and accepting offerings from various households. Rather than pledging to pray for the dead, they would sing a song, recite a poem, tell a joke, or perform another sort of trick before collecting their treat, which typically consisted of fruit, nuts, or coins. Huh. So over there, the tricks were good things? Figures it would take Americans to twist it into something shitty and destructive. Yay, America! Okay, this all sounds like spooky good times. We've got veil thinning. Yeah. We've got going up hiring. Mm-hmm. Bone fires. Yes. Ashing up your face to escape spirits who might be the unearthly counterparts of those people you met at a party a few months back and you said you'd hang out with them, but you never responded to their last message. You mean you ghosted them? Okay. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then they all died. Oh. So wait, they ghosted you? Oh, everybody's ghosting. They died in a mysterious and highly suspicious pontooning accident. Oh, not again. Do... Is it that people are often dying in pontooning accidents after they blow you off? No, I mean, yes. Yes. But the disappointing part is that I'm so careful to make it look like an accident, but people call it mysterious and Uh. highly suspicious anyways. Mm. I mean... If the boat they were on is found covered in alligators, then obviously the cause of death was alligators. And not that I murdered them in a jealous rage because they were disrespectful and ate the last of the chips without asking if I wanted any. Yeah. Plus, if it had been murder, they basically would have deserved it. Sure. And where was I supposed to keep 20 alligators if not on a boat with people who ate the last of the chips is all I'm saying. It's not like I have room at my house to keep 20 alligators happy. Yeah, that's all sound logic. Right there. Uh, Definitely nothing suspicious about any of that. Thank you. We'll just move on. Well, with all the aforementioned fun Halloween hijinks, uh, sacrifices notwithstanding, you might be wondering at what point did Halloween get associated with mischief and 'er ne'er-do-wells? I was wondering. Well, it's not for you. It's a a great hypothetical (laughs) question, my (laughs) hypothetical listener friend. Excuse me. (laughs) Back up off it. (laughs) In her book, Trick or Tree, A History of Halloween, Lisa Morton explains that since Halloween was a holiday, which from its inception combined a pagan New Year celebration and joyful harvest feast, it has almost always been observed with parties and mischief-making. Also, like, there probably wasn't a lot else to do back then Mm. other than, like, party and make mischief. (laughs) So, I mean, it it just pencils out. However, it wasn't until the 1500s that Halloween was starting to creep into both folklore and the calendar of festivals observed throughout the British Isles. In areas where Celtic influence was still strong, mainly Ireland and Scotland, the festival continued to grow in popularity. Scotland especially clung to the night's aura of romance and ghostly doings, and the earliest mentions of Halloween in poetry all emanate from Scotland. Romance. The classic Scottish ballad, Tamlane, 
Tamley. It's probably some weird pronunciation because Scottish. Anyway, mm. uh, was first recorded in 1548 and relates the romantic and eerie story of Janet, a lass who becomes <laughs> pregnant by Tamley. Not the most poetic name, but I mean, I like it. Janet's a good name. Solid. Uh, alas, who becomes pregnant by Tamlane, a young man stolen by the fairies. Mm-hmm. Janet can only rescue him on Halloween night, provided she's able to hold on to him, no matter what strange and frightening transformation the fairy queen puts the young man through. Wow. I know, pretty cool, right? So there's some pretty good classic Halloween imagery right there. We've got fairy thieves. Check. We've got kidnapping. Check. We've got creepy transformations. Double check. I like how the dude was the one that got stolen, too. Go get him, Janet. Mm-hmm. And pregnant, too. Mm-hmm. Don't f*** with pregnant women, y'all. They'll give you what for. Yeah, a good what for. Yeah. You go get him, Janet. You've staked your claim. Now go wrestle him up from those wily little fairy minxes. <laughs> okay. Creepy transformations, an aura of romance, and ghostly doings. Yeah. We have the makings of some Halloween traditions here. And I'll even go so far as to say the kidnapping counts as hijinks, which might make it sound like I'm condoning kidnapping, but <laughs> let the record show that I am only condoning kidnapping when the kidnappers are fairies. So, me. Okay, all right. As for any kidnappers over five inches tall, oh. kidnapping <laughs> by such perpetrators is not hijinks. That's just being a bag. Harsh. Jeez. I'm sorry I kidnapped you that one time. I won't do it again. I mean, it, it was kind of cute. Wow. While you were preparing for the spookiest of spooky seasons, dear listener, Death Party is here to make sure you are safe as can be from ghosts and ghouls on the night of all nights. So you experience death in a fun way and not for realsies because you didn't take the proper precautions and you got got by things that go bump in the night as they crawl through the veil. I mean shroud, Ah. damn it. So another thing you're going to want to gleefully carve off of your list of protective ceremonies this month is carving a jack-o'-lantern. Yeah! You still got a few sips left in that PSL? Some spicy dregs left in the bottom of your cider cup? Mm. Well, refill that mug and slice you off a piece of pumpkin pie Mm. because we have a lot more spooky territory to cover here. And we're going to tell you the origins of the least spooky face carving that you're going to hear about on a podcast in this day and age. The jack-o'-lantern is the most significant indicator of Halloween in our day and age. But why? Hmm. And where did it come from? I don't know. These spooky squashes are said to have found their place as our Halloween mascot, starting in antiquity with the old Irish folktale of Stingy Jack. Now... I haven't been able to figure out if this was some kind of effed up smear campaign against my people, the Irish, Mm. or if it was a warning about being that guy at the bar, Mm, mm -hmm. but let's all just take it with a grain of salt and appreciate that we get jack-o'-lanterns out of the deal, okay? Okay. Okay. Stingy Jack, also known as Drunken Jack. Slander. was a conniving drunkard and a con man who made a habit of tricking and pissing off everyone in his town. He was such a rotten scamp. A rapscallion, would you say? Indeed I would. Hmm. He was such a rapscallion that the devil himself decided to pay old Jack a visit and (gasps) teach him where conniving and drunkarding would get him. Hell, that's where. Don't give it away. I mean, it's the devil, so... On the night Stingy Jack met the devil, he knew he was in for it. And yes, if you must know, he was going to be dragged down to hell. Like Sam Raimi. But, what? (laughs) Sorry, there's a Sam Raimi movie called Drag Me to Hell. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Horror fans, I see you. It's not bad. It's not bad. It was all right. But... He still had some old Stingy Jack tricks up his sleeve, so he asked the devil to let him have a drink before his poor soul would have to live down in hell for all of eternity. Mm. And the devil, being apparently not too bad of a guy, agreed. Hmm. They went to a pub where Jack drank all night and then talked the devil into paying for it to boot. Hmm. 
is it just me or does the devil get kind of a bad rap for being the type of guy who will let you hang out in a pub all night and then pay for your vices before he invites you over to hang out? Mm. So Jack's like, hey, devil, pay... Wait, no, he's Irish. So he's like, hey, devil, pay for my alcoholism. And the devil's like, I don't see why not. Yeah, and this is how you know humans came up with this story as opposed to demons. Some real devil bashing going on here. Not that I'm biased in any way. It just doesn't seem fair, is all I'm saying. Mm -hmm. Makes humans look superior. Like, yeah, right. Okay. Hmm. Yeah, it kind of does, huh? But seeing as how we're all humans here, who cares, right? <laughs> mm -hmm. So the story goes... The devil feels around where pockets would be, but he's like, his lower half is a goat. So he's like, oh yeah, goats don't have pockets. And then two, he goes, oh wait, I don't have money. I left my wallet on the bureau down in hell. Because mm. his goat half doesn't have pockets and he's always afraid he's going to leave his wallet somewhere. So he just doesn't bring it. Kind of fail to see what the devil needs money for in the first place if he's always in hell but mm. um he definitely needs one of those like nerdy dangly wallets on a string you know the ones mm. you, you could put those around necks i imagine even goat necks mm. you mean neck wallets uh. <laughs> and i hate neck wallets maybe he couldn't get a neck wallet over his big old horns He'd get all tangled up, like when you try to put on a necklace over your head, but you forgot you have a bunch of bones stuck in your hair, and before you know it, you're all rolled up in a ball with your rings stuck in your hair, stuck in your necklace, stuck in your bones. And why are you looking at me like that? So anyways, Old Jack and the Devil look at each other, and it becomes obvious that Old Jack doesn't have any money to pay the bill. And the devil doesn't want to get 86 from his favorite bar. Mm. So, you know, what makes the most sense then is for the devil to turn himself into a coin to pay for the booze. I mean, naturally, what other option is there? Who came up with this I don't know. Does this make any sense to you? I mean, sure, it does, if you're interested in spewing anti-devil rhetoric. Your point of view is suspiciously demony. Bah! Have you taken up smoking or... <laughs> anyway. <clears throat> so then Jack puts the devil, who is now a coin, hmm. into his pocket. And bam! What do you know? But there's a crucifix in there too. So now the devil's stuck and he can't change back. Change. <laughs> ah! <laughs> oh, oh, you're welcome. No. I did it. <sighs> Really, guys, if this is all it takes to trick the devil, I don't know what the Catholic Church has been going on about for so long, but here we are. So the devil's like, I can't stay a coin. My soaps are on at 5.30. And Jack's like, promise you won't take me to hell, you wee bugger. <laughs> so the devil takes off for a while, as promised. And then one day, he's sitting around bored and his programs are reruns. Oh, that's where the phrase poor devil originated from. <gasps> Someone felt really bad about the lack of new quality programming in hell. Mm -hmm. Say what you will about syndication, but it's clearly a tool of destruction. Exactly. So yeah, he's got like full house or something on for the millionth time when he suddenly remembers, oh yeah, the Jack that made me look like an ass. That is up there still running around and thinking he owns the place. The nerve. The nerve. So he goes back up to earth and he's like, Okay, dude, I gave you a break, but now there's nothing good on the telly and you're coming with me. So this time, Jack is like, cool, bro, but first can you climb up that tree and get me an apple? I'm so hungry. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Mm. Apologies to anybody Irish that I'm completely offending with my <laughs> accent. Don't, don't apologize. You cut out that apology. You own it. You own that accent. And apparently the devil is just such a nice guy or really naive or just, I don't know. Maybe he's like eager to show off his climbing skills. What with the cloven hooves and all. Hmm. I know I would be if I were demon-like. Hmm. 
Can you hear the sound of my eyes squinting at you from over here? I might need to get a closer look at my co-host here in a second, but let me finish this tale first. So, sure, Mr. Devil, what could go wrong? Get this f***ing guy an apple. Well, fool the devil once, shame on you. And fool the devil twice, I don't remember how that saying goes. But damn it all, if Jack doesn't do some more sh- for the crucifix, like we didn't all see this coming. Wow. And again, the devil can't catch him. So this time, he makes the devil promise to never take him to hell ever, just to cover his bases. Hmm. And the devil's like, so screwed, stuck up this stupid apple tree like an absolute idiot. So he just has to admit he's been beaten by this old jerk. This is making me kind of uncomfortable because I feel like maybe now we're just bullying the devil for having, like, a learning disability. (laughs) Uh, Still defending the devil, huh? Does that mean we're supposed to feel bad for him? He's an emotional manipulator, that one. That much I know. Also, getting stuck in an apple tree is kind of like, man, even cats can get themselves down eventually, and they aren't great at multitasking, you know? Mm. They don't have to, like, run hell at the same time they're in the trees. You'd think the devil would have been good for it. It doesn't really add up, does it? Maybe something got lost in translation along the way. Hmm. But the story goes that the deal is struck, and the devil goes back to watching boring old reruns in hell alone. But nobody really gets him anyway, so maybe it works out for him. Okay, was it f***ing Castle? I wouldn't wish that on anyone. But I bet the devil loves it, since clearly that show only exists to bring a plague of misery and torment upon the Earth's network television viewing audience. Um, sure. It was Castle. I knew it. Well, not long after that, old Jack ends up kicking the bucket. We can only assume it's his liver the way he's been going. F***ing A! Jack needs a hobby. Mm-hmm. What about that game where you, like, move a wood hoop with a stick that I've heard so much about? Oh, yeah! It really doesn't get the appreciation it deserves. Mm-hmm. Try knocking a small rock down the road with a stick, and you'll thank your lucky stars when humans invent a hoop for you to play with, because it's way more fun. Invent? You sound like you were there when people invented hoops, just like the way that you worded that. That's... <clears throat> so, old Jack bit the dust, and he heads on up to heaven, because apparently it hasn't dawned on him yet that that's not going to happen. But sure enough, when he gets there, the dude at the pearly gates is like, bro, you're not on the list, and won't let him in. Well, old Stingy Jack has no other option at this point but to go ask Satan if he can get in there because the other place is at capacity or something. Mm. And Satan goes, ha, 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 ha. Remember our deal, Jack? I'll never take you to hell. Get your dead ass back to that stack of a planet you call Earth and roam around aimlessly for all eternity or something. You can tell Satan's feelings are still a little raw here, even if he would never admit it. We've all been there. Mm-hmm. So then, to add insult to injury or taking pity on him or I don't know, this part makes even less sense to me than the rest of it. But Satan hucks a chunk of hellfire <gasps> at Jack and is like, take this with you, you biatch. Oh. And Jack, being ever the clever old scoundrel, takes up a turnip and carves it into a little lantern to hold the glowing hell coal. Yeah. Why? Because, and I can only assume here, turnips aren't good for jack sh- Oof. They taste nasty. Mm-hmm. They're hard as rocks. Yep. They probably give you, like, wretched farts or something. Mm-hmm. What else are you going to do with the stupid things? They're already full of hell. What's a little more? Aw, so cute. He's a little tiny drunk man with a little... Bitty baby turnip lady whitey. Aw, do turnips grow more easily in Ireland than carrots? Hmm. All I know is they're way more disgusting than carrots. Uh-huh. Turnips are the black sheep of the carrot family. I imagine that people ate carrots when they could get them because carrots are delicious. Not to mention, okay, imagine trying to make a lantern out of a carrot. Oof. That's the second most painful thing I've thought of all day. The first one was about the taste of turnips. Mm-hmm. And turnips are hard as rocks. That's really got to suck to carve. I bet you would slip and cut your thumb like a thousand times. <sighs> turnips are small, too, though. A turnip lantern is a really small lantern, Jack. Just saying. 
If you're that clever, you can probably, like, life hack yourself a better lantern. Or death hack. Or whatever. Hmm. Maybe that was part of Jack's punishment. Like, ha ha, now you're a doomed wraith that can never rest, and the only thing you have to light your way is this stupid tiny turnip. Go f*** yourself. Oof. <laughs> that math checks out. I mean, I'd be pretty pissed. The old death by a thousand cuts angle. <laughs> So Stingy Jack's doomed soul becomes Jack O the Lantern. Oh, there were so many Jacks, but he was the only one of the Lantern. Mm -hmm. So people knew how to address his mail so it would find him. Hmm, mm hmm. And he is cursed to roam the earth for all eternity as some kind of effed up shadow creature with only a turnip lantern to guide his way. Plus side, that's a very respectable legend he has since turned into. Hmm. Turnip nightlights notwithstanding. Indeed. Scholars believe this legend evolved from sightings of Will-o'-the-Wisp. Swamp and marsh gases which hover and glow in the night out over Irish bogs. Losers. Everyone with any common sense knows that Will-o'-the-Wisps are fairies that lure unsuspecting humans out into the marshes to drown. Scholars, sure. So, with evil fairies, wraiths, and all manner of goblin and ghouls swishing through the shroud between the realms, people needed protection. So on All Hallows' Eve, the Irish would hollow out and carve scary faces into turnips and place tallow candles inside, so that as they went out souling on the night when the veil between life and death was thinnest, they would be protected from spirits like Stingy Jack. Pumpkins are believed to have originated in Central America over 7,500 years ago, with the oldest domesticated pumpkin seeds in the world being found in the highlands of Oaxaca, Mexico. My people! The first pumpkins were small and hard with a bitter flavor, a far cry from the way more awesomer pumpkins we know and love. The first ones were probably almost as crummy as turnips. Yeah! But over the centuries, the indigenous people and later others who took a liking to pumpkins bred them into the bright orange monstrosities we enjoy today. They were spread around the world by various people who recognized how great they are, but they grew best in the Americas where the temperatures were conducive to a good winter squash harvest. Later, when the Great Potato Famine forced large numbers of Irish immigrants to eat turnips or starve, they were like, Turnips? Hell nah! We're gonna settle in America instead! Sorry about the accent. <laughs> when they arrived here, weak and weary from the voyage, they dropped to their knees on the shores of this new land and were like, Wow, guys, check out these things called pumpkins. You can carve one without cutting your thumb a thousand times. And they're already holla. Turnips twice as hard. I'm so glad we came here. <laughs> Guess you could say they were not particularly hard to please as a people's. Really know how to make lemons out of lemonade, those Irish do. <laughs> If turnip lanterns were a cruel gift from Satan, then pumpkins were a <laughs> gift from God being like, hey, you've been punished long enough. Stop trying to carve turnips, guys. You're welcome. No argument here. And just like that, carving turnips became a thing of the past, and jack-o'-lanterns made from pumpkins became the symbol of Halloween that we know and love to this day. So when your racist uncle talks hate shit about Mexicans or the Irish, or anybody really, Go to his house and rip his f***ing guts out. <laughs> I was gonna say, just kick his jack-o'-lantern that he's all proud of right in the f***ing face and tell him to go carve a turnip. But eh. you could also just rip his guts out. That's also a very demon-y thing to say. <laughs> to each his own. <laughs> Speaking of jack-o'-lanterns, have you carved yours yet this season? Don't wait too long, the shroud is thinning as we speak, and ghosts and goblins are afoot. Don't look behind you. <laughs> Do you know who Guy Fox is? If you said yes, hey, I'm real proud of you, kiddo. You were always my favorite child, don't tell your sister. <laughs> if you said no, then you're probably your sister and not my favorite child. How many children do you have in this scenario? <laughs> Depends. Uh, human children? Or just children? Children I bought? Mm -mm, never mind. Hmm. Well, if you aren't familiar with Guy Fox, good news! 
you actually probably kind of are, and you just don't know it. How do I know that you know? Because I can see into your very soul. I know everything you know, and everything you have yet to learn. You have no secrets. Your mortal skin prison is merely an inefficient husk. Your pathetic human soul is not but a temporary storehouse for your useless memories and sense of self, the depths of which I plumb for my own sinister amusement. For I am outside of time, an immortal scouring this infernal stack of a planet, passing through the thin veil of your world, much like the tides. Oh, okay, that makes sense. I was nervous you found my journal or something. <clears throat> Sorry, where were we? Right, yeah, like I was saying, you're at least passingly familiar with Guy Fox, even if you don't know it. That's uh, F-A-W-K-E-S, by the way. Yeah, not like fat <laughs> something you might say when you stub your toe in the middle of the night because the witch in your closet moved your coffee table around. Mm, yes, the one you refused to boof. Yes. Guy Fox provided the mask inspiration for the hero in V for Vendetta. You know, that uh, pointy pencil mustachioed dude who isn't John Waters? Mm hmm Wears a hat? Yeah, that one. The mask has been totes seen IRL when it was adopted by protesters. For instance, hacker activist group Anonymous wore those masks in 2008. Mm-hmm. That's mm -hmm. a reference probably someone will get. Um, <laughs> WikiLeaks founder Julian Assange was likewise documented wearing a Guy Fox mask publicly. So now we know what Guy Fox looked like, but not why his legend has lived on throughout the centuries. Yes, centuries. <sighs> this dude died in the early 1600s. Apparently, being Catholic in England was a bit of a bad scene, as was most likely the parlance of the time. In fact, Catholics had been persecuted for decades prior to the night that put our guy, Guy, I see what you did there, <laughs> in the history books. But there was hope among practicing Catholics that the new king would make practicing Catholicism a little more friendly and a little less mm, grounds for state-sanctioned torture E. Hmm. Yeah. When it became apparent that Catholics were still to be treated like pieces of human saltwater taffy. Yuck. You know, before ends up in a rapper. Double yuck. Guy and some other guys. They were named Guy 2? Uh, no, just Guy. Oh. Oh. Yeah. Oh? <laughs> <laughs> just go with it. Okay. Uh, they decided to do the logical thing and blow Parliament, well, to kingdom come, as it were. Whatever happened to just talking things out anymore? Ah, it's not as fun. Hmm. The plot was foiled when our guy was this close. <gasps> How close? This close. <gasps> Look at my fingers. <laughs> <laughs> so close. Yeah, it's really close. To lighting the fuses on all the dynamite the group had smuggled in. And, uh, well, let's just say the best word to describe his fate would not be merciful. <gasps> Saltwater taffification. <laughs> Indeed. So Guy is very publicly killed in a very painful and icky way, and that's kind of the end to that. Well, that was anticlimactic. If you're American, that is. Yeah, because Americans love explosions. Michael Bay's entire career is based on it. Oh. But apparently in England, they just could not let that shit go. They probably like saltwater taffy even less than I do. For the last 400 plus years, they turned this thing into a holiday, which seems a bit morbid and definitely very anti-freedom of religion. So that's definitely awkward. Maybe they're just big fans of architecture and are glad their fancy building didn't get ruined. Aww. I mean, it was a grand scheme, but Guy could have used a more targeted approach and just let loose a bunch of alligators. <laughs> it's worked for people in the past. Oh, it has, has it? I hear. For a friend. Uh -huh. Well, I don't want to point any fingers here. We still celebrate Columbus Day. Do we? In the States. And yeah. that's, I mean, when you break it down, like, a lot of indigenous people were just genocided for our country to exist in its current iteration. And mm. that sh 
is a national holiday, so I don't want to be the pot calling the kettle black or anything. True. That holiday has been under scrutiny for years with suggestions of making it less colonialist, but change is too hard for some people, and I mean, frankly, no one wants to alter the monograms on their Columbus Day guest towels or whatever. They only come in packs of 20. It's like so many towels to change out. Yeah, so... Yet another Columbus Day just came and went, but that's a topic that could go on for days, so let's get back to Fox. Okay. Parliament declared November 5th a holiday forever in thankfulness to God for our deliverance and detestation of the Papists. And the first celebration of it took place in 1606. Okay. But did that old Catholic-hating king say, All right, enough's enough, guys. I think we made our Catholic-hating point. Yes? No. Oh. No, he did not. He also sought to control non-conforming English Catholics in England. In May of 1606, Parliament passed the very catchily titled the Popish Recusance Act, which required any citizen to take an oath of allegiance denying the Pope's authority over the king. Jesus Christ, people! Observance of the 5th of November Act passed within months of the foiled dynamiting plot made church attendance mandatory on that day. If there's anything that says fun, it's making events mandatory. And in a church. By the late 17th century, the day had gained a reputation for riotousness, disorder, and anti-Catholicism. Sounds like how we celebrate St. Patrick's Day in Boston. Although, (laughs) obviously without the anti-Catholicism component. Mm. Or actually sounds like any major sports teams winning a shiny gold thing in Boston. Maybe that's just how we celebrate anything in Boston. (laughs) Anyway, to link it back to Halloween, also an event we celebrate in Boston with riotousness and disorder, uh, Guy Fawkes Day became a beloved festival and was celebrated with fireworks, bonfires, and parades. Nice. Straw dummies are made to represent Fox as well as contemporary political figures. Then they are tossed on the bonfire and burned in effigy. What a thing. A bunch of people are burning effigies and none of them are us. Oh, yeah. Weird. I can't remember how long it's been since someone tried to exercise me. Too long, I tell ya. (laughs) The looks on their faces when it doesn't work. (laughs) (laughs) Mortal. (sighs) But, uh, effigies. We got them. Dummies have been burned on bonfires since the 13th century. You, them. you want them? Effigies, two for one. Hey. Come on down. Effigies are us. Faye and Eritrus's effigy warehouse. Serving up all the effigies you can want and more. Two An effigy one. of yourself. An effigy of your friends. Send in a picture and we'll effigy you up an effigy real quick. Custom made effigies for one and all. Come on down. Effigy warehouse. Following what became known as Guy Fawkes Day, the focus of the effigy sacrifices switched to his treason. Traditionally, the effigies, called guys, are carried through the streets in the days leading up to Guy Fawkes Day, and children ask passersby for a penny for the guy. Today, the word guy is a synonym for just uh, a man, but originally it was a term for a repulsive, ugly person in reference to Fox. Maybe that etymology is a case of letting bygones be bygones. Or in this case, perhaps (laughs) guygones. So here we are. We've got children going door to door, souling, trading promises of prayers for the souls of the homeowner's den relatives for receiving pastries called soul cakes. The practice originates from all Souls Day celebrations in England observed on November 2nd. Then comes Guy Fawkes Day, which, eh, and maybe there's some cultural subtlety I'm missing here, as I'm American and we inherently don't understand subtlety as, like, a concept? Hmm? But wouldn't you want to name the holiday after the side that won? Mm. Shouldn't it be called Day of Shitting on Catholics or something? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Guy Fawkes Day, observed on November 5th, is three days after All Souls Day and is a holiday with straw effigies, burning on bonfires, and children running wild in the streets. Okay, so it's not just America that's kind of f***ed. No, indeed. That's good to know. Kids would actually go door-to-door in the days, and even weeks preceding the holiday, begging for fuel to feed the massive bonfires that were a big part of the festivities. What the f***? Okay, that's not a good idea. Yeah. 
And in another parallel to modern day trick-or-treating, these grimy little begging street urchins sometimes even <laughs> smeared their faces with charcoal and dressed in rags, presumably to look more pathetic and in need of the requisite bonfire fuel, and not to become more flammable themselves. But one can hope. They're pretty flammable as is. Uh, asking for a friend. <clears throat> is that how that works? No. Celebrating Guy Fox Day on November 5th, just a few days after All Saints and All Souls Days, meant that even in the early years, in the 1600s, many of the traditions associated with All Saints and All Souls Day had merged with Guy Fox Day celebrations. As Guy Fox Day was born out of violent rebellion against the king, which was sparked by violent oppression by the king, mm -hmm. it shouldn't be surprising that pranking has been a part of this time of year since back in the day. So when Parliament banned all festivals except Guy Fawkes in 1647, that fact didn't do much to tame the spirit of the festivities. Writes Lisa Moore in, Pranks that could evolve into vandalism might take place, just as they did in Irish and later American Halloweens, in the British town of Lewes, Lewes, which is famed for the grand Guy Fawkes festivities that still take place there every year, an attempt in 1779 to limit rowdiness by banning bonfires was met with threats of burning down houses instead. Ah. The bonfires, needless to say, were allowed to continue. Wow. Humans, huh? What a species. <sighs> Just fascinating. In fact, in England, the night before Guy Fawkes Day came to be known as Mischief Night. And your favorite... Devil's Night! And this was celebrated in the New World by immigrants who came over as well. In the British Isles, all manner of creatures like goblins, fairies, and imps were fingered for, in the immortal words of Wu-Tang, bringing the ruckus on Halloween. Indeed, the ruckus was in fact brought for centuries, as anonymous mischief had become part and parcel of the holiday's festivities. What kind of ruckus, you ask? Oh! What kind of ruckus? Oh, the, the worst kind. Ruckus that involves cabbages. Cabbages? You heard me. Cabbages. No. Of all the low-down, dirty, rotten tricks. <laughs> <laughs> Mischievous boys found an almost endless number of uses for cabbage and Halloween pranking. <laughs> cabbages made convenient missiles and might be pulled and thrown at the doors of a prankster's enemy. There were even stories of pranksters tying strings to cabbages in a field to give passers-by the illusion that the cabbages were moving. <laughs> <laughs> this is my new hobby. <laughs> For sure. If I said it once, I said it a thousand times. Oh, you wacky cabbage prank playing rapscallions. You better not give the illusion that the cabbages in my fields are moving. No siree, Bob. Oh, you think you're going to pull the cabbage wool over my eyes? I'll give you what for, you dastardly little scamps. And so on and so forth. Year in and year out. My cabbage cleanup budget has absolutely gone through the roof, I tell ya. Cruciferous vegetable-related transgressions aside, Halloween ruckus has also included other more classic pranks, such as Ding Dong Ditch, over the years. Nope. Nope. From this point on, I am only accepting cabbage-based tricks. No other tricks will do. Hmm. Jokes on the trick-or-treaters that come to my house this year. I'm going to put out a giant candy bowl full of nothing but shredded cabbage. Oof. Tricks go both ways, you little a-holes. Cold. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so now we're skipping merrily through the cabbage fields right along <laughs> up into the 1800s. Sir Walter Scott collects some ballads, including the one aforementioned about the fairy kidnappers, Tamlane, and writes at length during the introduction about the superstitious nature of the Highlanders and border clans who believed in fairies and witches, carried spell books, and thought charms had the power to cure disease. Uh, they do. Pretty on the nose there, Scott. Now, I shall read a small excerpt from Death Makes a Holiday, A Cultural History of Halloween by David J. Skull, because I really like how the author wrote this. Halloween is rooted in the ancient, tumultuous history of England and Ireland. 
The holiday crossed the Atlantic with the great wave of Irish emigration that followed the devastating potato famine of the late 1840s. Like a medieval plague, the crop blight, starvation, and epidemics that followed decimated the Irish population and economy and drove nearly two million citizens to North America. The survivors of the coffin ships, so-called because of their appalling rates of disease and mortality, had every reason to keep alive a celebration that paid homage to death, or at least contained and tamed its memory in a controllable ritual. The emigrants knew full well how thin the boundary between life and non-life could be. In the Irish tradition, the spirits of Halloween included much more than the souls of the departed. There were also fairy beings and witches, not to mention the devil himself. When Halloween made its way to America with the immigrating Irish, things took another turn for the worse. Uh, depending on if you are a fan of complete carnage or not. It's one thing to try to keep yourself safe from ghosts and demons and fairy imps, but as all Americans here know, children here are sadistic little hellraisers and much harder to steer clear of. Mm hmm. So a tradition that was once defined by youth offering services to their communities, such as honoring past ancestors and singing songs to entertain their neighbors in exchange for gifts and food, turned into a night full of threats, pranks, and just completely chaotic American boys is now when we lose all our male listeners. Huh? Oh, sorry. I was going through your Halloween candy. Is this everything you have or is like the good stuff hiding somewhere? <laughs> this stuff sucks. <laughs> By the 1920s, things had gotten out of hand. <gasps> Grubby little kids with runny noses would go from house to house threatening the inhabitants with tricks like tiny little mafiosos. Uh, I think uh, mafiosos did more than that. <laughs> Close enough. Mm -hmm. During this era, it was common for rotten little booger eaters Ooh. to throw rocks through windows, set fires, and even more creative terrorism, such as taking apart buggies and reassembling them on people's roofs. Ooh. Okay. Anyone out there setting fires on purpose deserves to get fed their own chopped off and charbroiled toes. But the buggy thing, I gotta say, is kind of hilarious. I guess as long as I'm not the one that has to climb up on the roof and get it down. I'm scared of heights, and that's just not gonna happen. It might as well have a backseat full of puke, because if it's on my roof, it's just staying there forever. I guess I'm walking everywhere now. Thanks, kids. Hope that was fun for you. Well, the antics ensued for some time, but people were getting tired of dragging their cars down off the roof and stuff, so people eventually started banding together to try and answer the age-old question. How do you keep gangs of boys from being just complete savages? Okay, now we're going to lose all of our male listeners. <laughs> and maybe their parents. Mm, their parents know we're right. Oh, true. Well, all this was happening around the time that people were giving their babies whiskey <laughs> or cough syrup to get them to go to sleep at night, so, you know. Mm. Since it's really just, like, so much work to raise young people with ethics mm -hmm. and a deep understanding of empathy and compassion, Americans at the time were like, I don't know, can we distract them by giving them sugar and throwing a party or something? And just like that, Halloween, as we know and love it today, was born. Trick-or-treating has its viney, pumpkiny, tendrilled roots in souling and good old-fashioned American bribes. Get off my lawn, kid, and I'll give you a Werther's. And in some places, adults came up with it as a plan to distract mischievous children from wrecking the joint. One such concerned citizen was a woman named Elizabeth Krebs. Elizabeth Krebs is another American immigrant, this time from Switzerland, who helped shape the modern American celebration of Halloween as we know it. Her town in Kansas takes Halloween so seriously that if Halloween falls on a weekday, public school students are dismissed from class. What? My entire childhood, I could just feel that I was being ripped off, but I didn't know how yet. Ugh! Mm -hmm. This is all adding up. I can't believe I had to be in school on Halloween all those years. The injustice of it all. Yeah, well, they probably kept you in school on Halloween, so they wouldn't have the same problem that Elizabeth Krebs had, which was that her town ended up with more tricks than treats. Hmm, smart. 
As a proud member of the Hiawatha Garden Club, Mrs. Krebs grew tired of seeing the aftermath of Halloween hijinks when children ripped up flower beds all over town on October 31st, year after year. Ooh, that wouldn't stand in Portland either. People are all about their gardens here. Mm-hmm. What hellfire did she rain down on their crummy little heads? Did she run them through with her garden spade? <gasps> Bury them head first in her petunia bed? <clears throat> Drown them with her flower print garden hose? I guess back then they didn't have fancy flower print garden hoses yet, did they? Wait, do we have flower print garden hoses now? In a perfect world. But she found Mm. a way to transform the not especially fun hijinks that became popular around Halloween in the early 1900s into something more lighthearted. Because the flower beds weren't surviving past November 1st, it occurred to Elizabeth Krebs that these little scamps had way too much energy to be unleashing all of this ire and malice upon these poor, unsuspecting geraniums or whatever. Mm -hmm. So she devised some counteractivities, including handing out prizes to children who paraded around the town square in homemade costumes, pedaling bicycles, and pulling decorated wagons. Cute. Now Halloween in her town is celebrated with not one, but two days of tricks or treats. Plus, kids have it off if it's a damn school day. (sighs) Now it's recognized as the longest consecutive Halloween parade and clearly a most excellent place to celebrate an American Halloween. Oh my God. Fully adding that one to the bucket list. I'm moving to Kansas. I never thought I'd say that. Let's not be hasty. (laughs) You'll never want for steak again. That that and Halloween. And ranch dressing. Yeah, beyond that, mm, prospects are looking a little (laughs) bleak. Sorry, Kansas. You just don't have what we want. So in a small town in Kansas with particularly beautiful gardens, trick-or-treating came to be through the efforts of the town's inhabitants in order to continue winning blue ribbons for their roses at the local county fair. Aw, quaint. Yeah. But in most places, nobody's exactly sure how it came to be. Perhaps it manifested through whispers from the great beyond, Mm. from restless spirits demanding their due for staying out of human affairs. (sighs) Or perhaps it was a candy company executive who, through some targeted advertising at America's Youth, saw to it that his weird, stale circus peanut candy company (sighs) made it through just one more year. (sighs) Why were those ever even a thing? Beats me. But in the end, all that really matters is that the candy-impoverished children of health-conscious granola co-op shopping hippie parents get one night where they get to eat something yummier than carob chips or those little sesame honey bar things that are supposed to be like candy, but they're not. Oh, this sounds personal. Don't get me started. We'll all be crying by the end. Now I know why Halloween is so important to you. (laughs) It's true. Finally, the dark, swirling forces of mischief and havoc that had manifested when the old energies and spirits accompanying the immigrating Irish intersected with the berserker mentality of American youth could be pacified. Between the 1930s and 1950s, parents were encouraged by newspapers and community leaders, probably including that smarty-pants Krebs and her award-winning petunias, to put together parties and dances, games and puppet shows, anything that would keep greasy little chubby kid fingers off of matches and rocks. Advocates for a less hellish Halloween advised to take anything frightening or gross out of celebrations. Guess how long that part lasted? With these combined efforts, Halloween was quickly stripped of most of its superstitious and religious overtones and became the highly decorated and sugar-fueled rager we all know and love. I guess here in the States anyway. There are a lot of areas in the world that aren't really into it, and some people there are envious of how fun Halloween here is. And to that I say, HA! Finally! Suck eggs! You all have everything better than we do in dumb America, but finally, finally, I get to have one thing better. You can keep your universal health care and affordable medications and living wages Aww. and respect for your wise elders. Can and they? Just one has to assume abortion rights at this point. Aww. And nope, nope. Now I'm sad again. <sighs> America. But, but hooray, hooray Halloween. Halloween.
To help make your Halloween extra spooky, we have some exciting and exclusive bonus content you can unlock by becoming a patron of the show. This will include an uncensored version of the episode, along with even more jokes and banter that didn't make the final cut due to being pretty tangential. You know how we get sometimes. So, if you like potty-mouthed ladies talking about Halloween effigy plans, swapping Halloween costume stories, about the exact same costume years and states apart, quick conversations about America's favorite condiment, and a few saucy jokes too blue for the internet. That's not a thing. Bring your trick-or-treat bag on over to patreon.com slash deathpartypodcast and we'll help you fill it up. Today, Halloween is a holiday that symbolizes and celebrates our close proximity to death and tips its hat to all that lies and creeps beyond and through the veil. Mm, shroud. Shroud. That separates our realm from the next. It's a day that playfully celebrates the deadliest fantasies our minds can conjure so we don't have to face the real horror that terrorizes humanity. <gasps> Little boys with spare time on their hands. Mm -hmm. So for extra bonus points, Go really old school with your festivities. Celebrate by bobbing for apples, baking some soul cakes as offerings to the dead, and putting a spell on your sweetheart. But don't stop there. Thread some cabbage to a string and <laughs> trick people into thinking it's moving on its own. Yes. Get an effigy of a thing and throw it on a bonfire. <laughs> Smear ash on your face and beg for pastries. <laughs> Try your damnedest to carve a turnip. Those things are hard as rocks. Mm -hmm. And don't forget to decorate your front yard like the grave robber turned resurrectionist giant venomous spider breeder no. or mysterious swamp hag that you are at heart mm. and to eat and or hand out all the candy you want because on this one night calories and cavities don't exist but ghosts and goblins do and if you don't honor Halloween's traditions they're coming for you If you get some facts out of this shit, you're lucky because I'm making up half of it. <laughs> Shh, we're not. I read so many books. <laughs> you did, but I'm making up my half. Okay. <laughs> <laughs>